Uh, we've finished up our, our series on Christian growth, and so we're going to start a new series, and it will take us all the way into fall, actually. Um, uh, there are, depending on how you look at it, 30-plus miracles of Christ in the New Testament. And uh, we're going to start walking through them. We're gonna just going to kind of take one each week, and we're going to kind of look at the miracle and some things that we can learn from it. Um, they fall basically in two categories. Um, miracles of healing, which deal with physical healing, and we'll talk about why Jesus does that, when he does that, uh, the purposes behind it. And then um, there are miracles of nature, and actually the one we're going to look at this morning is a miracle of nature. It's something that um, God takes that which is natural and does something very, very unique um, outside of the realms of the norms of nature. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through them a little bit differently than we do sometimes with stuff. I'm going to kind of take this verse by verse, and then at the end of it, I'll put together some application with it, and then we'll um, see what God wants us to do uh, in our own lives. So uh, this morning we're looking at the book of John. Uh, this is the first miracle that Jesus performs. Let me give you a background up to this point. Um, Jesus was baptized by John in the River Jordan. Uh, he has gone into the wilderness for 40 days and been tempted by Satan. He now comes back from that, and he's with his family. Um, he's with Mary. Uh, he's with his disciples. They're all kind of gathered there together in Cana. And they attend a wedding. Um, I think it's interesting. Uh, when God the Father creates the world, one of the things that you have right at the beginning is a wedding with Adam and Eve. When Jesus starts his earthly ministry, one of the things that it starts with is a wedding. It's a social event. It's a, in this culture, a wedding was a big, big, big deal. Uh, they often, the celebrations sometimes would last as long as a week. Can you imagine going to a wedding that lasted a week? And it was eating, drinking, celebrating, eating, drinking, celebrate for an entire week sometimes. Uh, it, in this culture, the wedding was not only a... Um, a moral kind of thing and a ceremonial kind of thing, but it was a legal kind of thing. Uh, in fact, if you were the host of a wedding and you did not provide for your guests, you could actually be prosecuted legally. Imagine going to a wedding going, they ran out of that. I'm suing them. Uh, you could actually be prosecuted because the, the culture was such that a wedding was such a big event that there were, there were obligations society-wise upon you for that event. Uh, we even saw this in Papua New Guinea, by the way. It, when someone passed away, it was the responsibility of the family who lost somebody to provide a pig for a celebration for the whole village. And, and a pig was an incredibly expensive thing, so these people would have to go out and spend, you know, in, in their culture what would have been months of wages to buy a pig in order to celebrate. And, and there was no, can you afford it, can you not afford it? It was a cultural obligation. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and in this story, that gives you a little bit of background to, to kind of help you out. So uh, let's start John um, in uh, John chapter 2. Um, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Now, um, let's stop there. Uh, even, even something as significant as a third day. 
The Mishnah taught that if the bride was a virgin, that the wedding took place on a Wednesday. If she was a widow, it took place on a Thursday. They had very, very specific things regarding this. Uh, but it says that, notice that it's in Cana of Galilee. Uh, so that's out, that's important, this is important. It's outside of Nazareth. It's, out, it's about 20 miles from Nazareth where Jesus was born, or where Jesus was raised. Uh, it's way north of Jerusalem. This is up in a Galilee area. So it, it's going to be important when we talk about miracles to find out where they took place. Because there are miracles that took place around Jerusalem, and then there are miracles that took place up in Galilee. And it becomes very, very significant when, when those things happen. This is up in the north part. So Jesus hadn't made his way down to Jerusalem yet and started to reveal himself to the Jews. He's revealing himself kind of to the Gentiles at this point, specifically here, the disciples. But going on, here's what it says. Notice it says his mother was there. So we assume a couple of things here. We assume that because it's 20 miles from Nazareth, that Jesus' family probably knew whoever was getting married. There was some relationship there because 20 miles was a good little jog in that day. It wasn't like you just went next door. So, but for some reason, his family is there. And it says, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. So now you've got his mother, you've got Jesus, you've got his disciples. And they're all kind of there as a group. Um, as it goes on, I think it's important to note, by the way, last week we talked about the idea of witnessing. Jesus' first miracles at a social event. Um, one of the things that you're going to find is that Jesus often finds himself in the middle of people who do not believe like he believes, who are not followers. That, that's who he's trying to reach. And so Jesus is there. And notice what happens. It goes on, and it says, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said, they have no more wine. So there becomes a problem. The problem is they run out of wine. Remember what I told you earlier. You had a legal obligation to provide for your guests. And so now you have run out of wine. And don't, by the way, don't get all hung up on the wine alcohol thing, right? Uh, in that culture, the water was absolutely horrid. Um, so wine was the only thing, uh, for many, in many situations, wine was the only thing you could drink that was safe. Um, so, uh, and that has kind of been throughout history as well. Now, again, today we have other options, uh, but don't get all hung up on that. He says, he said, uh, they have no more wine. So they come up, they come up with a problem and Mary goes to Jesus and goes, hey, they're out of wine. Now, why would she tell Jesus that? She wants him to fix it. She knows who he is. He hasn't done anything spectacular yet. There's some tradition. There's some, there's some ancient history stuff that says all kinds of crazy things about little things Jesus did when he was a child as miracles. But it's not in the Bible, so we're not going to hang on to it with any um, accuracy. But she comes to him with the problem, and notice what he says. Okay, some of you from a, from a Roman Catholic background are going to have a problem with this. What does he say? Woman. Woman. This is his mom, Mary, the mother, the virgin Mary who birthed Jesus. And he doesn't say, 
Blessed Mary among women. He doesn't do. He goes, woman. This is significant. There are a couple of occasions in which Jesus does this. Okay? He does it here. He does it when they ask about her son sitting on the right and the left hand, and he does it at the cross. And it's significant because he is reminding her of her place in relationship to him. And that's very, very important because he's still honoring her, he's still respecting her, but he is reminding her that, look, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm the son of God. You're addressing, yes, I'm your physical son, but my father is God. And let's understand that just because you want something to happen doesn't mean it's going to happen. This is, I think, and again, I don't, I don't want to be hard on Mary here. I think this is just a typical mom thing. There's a problem in my boy can fix it. Let my son do it. Have you ever seen that with moms? You know, it's like, you know, there's all, oh, here, don't worry. Hey, and they call their kid over and her kid does it and everybody's like, hey. I think that's kind of what it is. I think she gets wrapped up in it. And she gets wrapped up in the idea because I really think, I really genuinely believe that Mary's concept is here that I want people to see that he's God. I want people to see that he's, that he's the son of God. I want people to know that he's special. I want people to listen to his message. I really think that's a burden for him. And she comes to him going, look, look, look. It's looking bad for our relatives. You can fix this. So they're out of wine. Do something about it. She doesn't say that physically. But she says they're out of wine. And he says, look, woman. Why do you involve me? He said, what are you trying to do here? My time is not yet come. He says, look, I will be revealed in God's time, on God's timetable. Not yours, not mine. The time will come that I should do something but now is not it. Hasn't been revealed to me yet to do something. And notice her response. Right away she realizes, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. By the way, you want a great philosophy of life? There it is. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. She looks at her servant, she looks at the people gathered around, she goes, okay, she realizes, okay, I was out of place. I'm trying to push something that's not mine. So listen, you just do whatever he says. So notice what happens. Nearby stood six stones water, six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washings, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Okay, do the math. You're 120 to 180 gallons of water. Notice it says they're stone pots. They're incredibly heavy. Notice what it says they were used for. What were they used for? Ceremonial washing. The Jews were big about this. The Jews were big about, you know, they're doing all this eating, and they're doing all this feasting, and there was a big deal about hand washing. And by this point, they had all of these rules about you had to wash your hands a certain way, this way, and then do this and say this and do this. So that was a big deal. In fact, they're going to criticize Jesus later because his disciples didn't do that. So they've got six big 
30-gallon, 20, 30-gallon pots, probably set up so that people can wash their hands ceremonially in it. And they're sitting there, and notice what he says. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Now, this is significant. Jesus wants them to physically see there's nothing else that can go in these things. There's not some magic powder he's going to dump in and they're going to change. They are literally overflowing. So now you've got six jugs overflowing with water. And they, they're obedient. They don't, they, they don't, again, they don't know what he's going to do. Um, they don't have anything, any idea. Um, and then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Now, here's the big deal. You don't do this. This is ceremonial washing water. Those of you who have been in a liturgical background where they had holy water, okay? You know how everybody treats holy water, you know? And you can, can you imagine me going in to one of those places, taking a cup and scooping out the holy water and drinking, going, man, this is good stuff. You go, you, 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 you no, 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 you don't do that. And so... These servants, I'm sure, are taken back. When Jesus looks at them and goes, look, <clears throat> take some water out of the jugs in your pitcher. They're going, no, 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 I don't think so. No, 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 no. That's, that's like hand-washing water. That's, that's, that's special, purified, set apart, blessed by the priest, all that kind of water. We don't mess with that. This thing you're going to learn about Jesus. And remember this. Jesus doesn't do things the way you think they ought to be done. And you're going to see that over and over again in the miracles. There was a way that people thought things should happen, and Jesus often flips those on end. And so in this story, he says, now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. So, again, these guys are incredibly obedient. So they scoop out some water, and they take it to the master of the banquet, the governor, whoever was in charge of the whole thing. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. So in other words, the, the governor, he doesn't know anything about this miracle. And this becomes important. The only people who know about this miracle are the people who are standing there, the servants and the disciples. That's it. This wasn't like some big, huge thing. And if you'll think about it for a minute, all right, how much attention do you pay to who's manning the punch bowl when you're at a wedding. So it's not like this is like some big thing where Jesus says, hey, everybody, come here, come here, come here. We're going to sell tickets to this. Hey, get your tickets, line up. Going to do some big fancy hocus pocus thing. I'm going to make, make a big show of it. Jesus simply telling a bunch of servants, he says, hey, make sure the jugs are all full. Let it overflow. Take the pitcher out. Go take it to the guy. And they do. And notice the master says, he didn't realize where it was. So he calls the bridegroom aside. He gets the guy who's, get, who's married, who got married that day, and he, and he pulls him aside. He says, i got to talk to you. Notice what he says. Going on. Verse 10. Uh, and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine at first, then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you saved the best till now. That's going to become important in a second. But he comes, he calls the guy aside, he goes, look, I don't get this. Because here was the custom. 
The custom was you brought out the good stuff at the beginning. Everybody went, wow, this is good. You must have really spent some good money on this. Wow, you know, hey, I want to know what vineyard you got this out of. This is really good stuff. Well, after everybody's drank enough, their taste buds are a little duller. So then you bring out the cheap stuff, you know. It's like, it's like at my house. I shouldn't tell you this because you're going to think I'm a horrible parent. We have two categories of steak at our house. We have what my wife and I eat, and then we have what we serve the kids when they're over, okay? Um, now, the kids will tell you it's good. It's good. But we keep the best. You're going, you're like a horrible person. I may... We really like steak, all right? Um, but, I mean, that's our, our, in our world. It's like, okay, so we have, like, our steak, and then we, the really, really good stuff, and then we have the kids, and then when you guys come over on Wednesday, we do hamburger. Um, <laughs> so, I tell you what, when I start bringing out the hot dogs, you know it's bad. Um, but, I mean, that, that, that's kind of our deal, okay? And that's, our, that's kind of our thing. And it's the same thing. They, they would serve the best at the beginning, and then they would either serve stuff that hadn't been quite ready, or maybe they would add water to the other stuff to water it down so it would go farther. That was the standard practice. And the governor is sitting there, and, and, and the, the master, whoever this guy is, he calls a bridegroom and says, he says, I don't get this. He says, you did this backwards. He said, this is better than what you served at the beginning. He said, why did you do it that way? Why didn't you serve us this stuff up front? Why did you serve, and this is the principle, hang on to it. Why did you save the best for last? I don't get that. And notice what happened. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Canaan of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. This thing was more about the disciples learning who he was than anything else, his followers. And there, there, there's a bunch of takeaways for us from, from this passage. Um, let me just pull out a couple of them and, and try to learn what we can. Here, here's the first one. God does the best things at the end, not the beginning. Now that's an incredible principle that you really need to think about. You see, Satan flips it. Satan tries to say, experience it now. Not realizing that to experience it now means there's a heavy price later. Don't wait to get married before you get physically involved with someone? Do it now. Do it now. What they don't tell you, statistically, you know what we know? You increase your odds of divorce by about 20% by getting involved physically with somebody before you ever get married. That's not Bible. That's just plain old statistics. They just plain I mean, I can give you all kinds of reasons why why because our culture says do it now kids oh 21 that's just some adult age thing to drink you don't have to go ahead do it now 
how many kids right now can't qualify for the military because they have an OIP? You know how many times Satan will, okay, again, you know my job. My job is to preach. Your job is to get mad at me for it. That's your problem, okay, but that's God you're really getting mad at. So don't, I'm just using illustrations as God lays them on my heart. You go ahead and buy it now and make those payments. Because you know what? We'll sell it to you for only, only $75 a month. Not realizing the interest rate's like 26%, and you'll pay three times the price for it when it's all said and done. But you'll get it now. See, we're in a world which says, get it now. By the way, socially, for the first time in history, we're in a culture which emphasizes youth over age. We value being young, okay? And some, again, some of you might get upset. Listen, I think, I think there is a biblical issue at heart when all you're trying to do is spending your time, money, energy, and effort to stay young. Because the Bible honors aging process. The Bible, I'm not saying if the barn needs painting, don't paint it. Okay? If the barn needs painting, paint it. But don't rebuild it. Okay? I mean, don't, don't get crazy about stuff like this. Why? Because we're at a point where it's like, oh, we, we just honor, honor youth. And, and, and yeah, no. Now I got like three conversations going. No. Um, really? Seriously? Why? Because God says, look, the best comes at the end, not at the beginning. You be faithful to me now. When's your reward? In heaven. See, the reward for serving God doesn't come now. It comes at the end. The best is yet to come. That's a biblical principle. The best is at the end. That's why God says, look, you do it my way. And in the end, I always tell kids this. You have two ways to choose to do this. You can do the easy thing now, and life will get harder. Or you do the hard thing now, and life will get easier. Take a kid who's studying and, and working in high, in high school or in college or whatever else on his GPA. You go ahead, and you put in the study time now. When you're in high school and when you get to college, you will have learned how to study. Because you're going to have a lot of friends who've done the easy thing all the way through high school, and then they get to college, and they can't cut it. And the reason they can't cut it is because they never did the hard things when they were in high school. Why? Because there's a biblical principle at work here. And so one of the things I think you see in this thing is, is Jesus kind of lays out this idea of, and you can say he's teaching it to his disciples, the best is yet to come, guys. And these are guys who are going to die because they call themselves a disciple of Jesus Christ. The best is yet to come. I think a second principle that you see often in this passage is this. God works on his timetable, not yours. I think that was the lesson to Mary. Mary wanted it to happen right away. And Jesus was like, and I think Mary wanted it to be a big deal. Because I think Mary wanted the attention to be on Jesus. But Jesus' focus was always the attention goes to the Father, not to him. So you don't see any big hocus-pocus thing. You don't see any big show here. You don't see anything. You just simply see, fill the jugs with wine. Take a jug out, give it to that guy. 
And water goes to wine. Why? Because Jesus knew the time to do it, the place to do it, the people that he wanted to do it around. Not on Mary's agenda, but on the Father's. I can't stress this enough because I see Christians get really frustrated with this. There's something you want, you prayed for it, you prayed for it, you prayed for it, and you think, well, I'm not, it's not happening, and maybe I need to do more. Maybe if I go to church more, God will give it to me, or maybe if I like, give money, and, and, and God, will, God will give it to me, or maybe if I, if I like, go to the mission field, then God will give it to me, and you know, what do I got to do to, to like, get God to like me more so that he does what I want him to do? Look, God's going to work on his timing, his plan, his purpose in your life. We worked for two years to get rid of dirt. Our prayer has always been, God, your time, your plan, your way. Then all of a sudden, the next thing we know, we actually got another call this week. Somebody wants more dirt. And it's like, you know, now we're looking at it going, how much do we get rid of? You know, I mean, you know, we want it to all go away. But we, gotta, <laughs> we don't want so much of it to go away that if we decide to do something, we got to haul dirt in. Um, so, you know, but it's neat. Why? Because it's, it's God's timing, God's plan, God's way, God's purposes, God working it out. I, I say that to say it over and over again, that look, you, you've got to learn that if you're praying for something and you're doing the best you can to live for God and it's not happening, it's not because God's against you, it's because it's not God's time, God's plan, God's purpose, God's way at that moment. And so you just simply are going to have to trust and hang in there that in his time, plan, purpose, all of that, it will happen. And it's an issue of trust. You trust him for your eternal life. You got to learn to trust him for your life, for your everyday stuff, you know? And, and that becomes so important. So I think that, that's a second lesson here is this idea that when God's ready, it's going to happen, but not until. And so that requires of us patience and trust. I think the biggest lesson, the third lesson, I think, which is the biggest lesson, in my opinion, in this whole thing, is you see the transforming power of God. Water is a common everyday thing. This was purified, set apart, holy water for washing hands. It's just water. But what does Jesus do? He takes it and he creates something that within that culture is incredibly valuable, that is at the best of the best, and he makes something incredible from something common and ordinary. I think that's the real crux of this. I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to convey to his disciples, I'm going to make something great out of you guys. Because you see, in the Jewish system, these guys were all failures. They couldn't cut it as a, as a Talmudian to follow the, in the footsteps of the rabbi. They were flunkies. They had, re, they had been kicked out of the whole Jewish educational system to be a, a, a true follower of a rabbi. They'd gone back to the trades of their fathers. And Jesus comes along with these guys and goes, I can do something with you, follow me. I can do something with you, follow me. I can do something with you, follow me. And they just simply went, okay, we'll follow you. They were common, ordinary people. And yet when you read their stories, you see them doing extraordinary things for the cause of Christ. You see them dying extraordinary deaths for what they believed in. You see them, you and I, here today because they took the message that they learned from Jesus and shared it with others, who 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 eventually get to us. 
Because God took some ordinary water and turned it into some extraordinary wine. And God took some ordinary disciples and turned them into something extraordinary for the kingdom of God. Don't minimize the power of God to do that with you. You, know, you don't get it. I'm like, I'm, I'm like just a, I'm like a store clerk. No, 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 you don't get it. God takes great delight in taking the ordinary and making it extraordinary. Yeah, but I, I you know, I just, I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just like a single person. God loves taking the ordinary and doing the extraordinary with it. The problem is you have to believe and trust and follow him to allow him to do that. Some of you are up against stuff in your life that you want to see change, and you literally have come to the point that you don't believe God can change it. You listen to a story like this, you go, oh, that's cool, God. God could change like water to wine. Yeah, that would be like really incredible, and that's amazing, but hey, God can't make my marriage better. God can't get me out of this financial mess. God can't help me overcome this addiction. Yeah, he's got the power to do water to wine, but he can't do this. This is too big. J.B. Phillips said it this way once, your God is too small. Because the God that I serve, the God that I follow, the, 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 the God that I have my faith and trust in, takes water, common and ordinary, and makes it extraordinary. And that means that same God can take whatever I'm bumped up against in my life that I can't seem to, to get past, that I can't seem to, to, to get over and change and make better, God can do that. He has that kind of power. But you have listened to Satan too long to think that your situation, he can't do something about. And I would say to you this morning, your God's too small because the God who changes the water to wine takes great delight in taking your life and doing something extraordinary with it. Go through and read your Bible. Look at all of the characters who, in and of themselves, were incredibly ordinary. And God says, you know what? If you'll just simply say yes and be obedient and follow me and trust me, I'll make something great out of your life. And the Bible is full of them. The Bible is full of them. And I, I want to give you hope this morning. I want to give you encouragement. And when you put your faith and trust in Christ and you literally turn your life over to God and when, you, when you've been a believer and you come up against that wall and you say, God, I, I'm going to need your help to change this. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. But God has the power and the ability and the desire to do that for you. And he will. So my prayer for you this morning is this. That you realize that God can change and transform. That you'd realize this morning that if you would be obedient and trust him and allow him to work out his plan, he will. But it'll be in his time and in his way, not yours. And realize that for each of us who call ourselves disciples of Christ, followers of Jesus Christ, people who put their faith and trust in Christ, for each of us, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Let's pray, Lord. Help us, 
God, some of us have come up against stuff that we have just kind of given up on seeing something changed. And Lord, we've started to believe that um, it can't get better. It can't change. It can't go in a different direction. Lord, would you just help us to realize this morning that uh, you have that kind of power? That, Lord, you want to take our ordinary lives and do something incredible and extraordinary with them. So help us to trust you, to be obedient, to follow you. Lord, for each of us, Lord, may we know that our faith and trust in a personal relationship with you helps us to realize the best is yet to come. And, Lord, that we would learn to really follow you with our whole heart. Lord, thanks for the story. Thanks for the miracle. And Lord, just as the end of this story ends in you being glorified and the disciples strengthening their faith, may the same thing be true of us today. And we'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise these things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, Let's stand together.